record of us. Track now. Almost like we're recording. Yeah, that's yeah, the word for it. Don't think too hard about the fact that we're recording, but it's very similar. <laughs> it's very similar. That's all. It's fine. Yeah. Just there's a digital no, record. Don't worry about no, it. There's no live just... studio audience besides my cat. <laughs> and my cat. Oh. And your cat. And your snake. Well, he can't hear. That's oh. the beauty of snakes. I mean, they can hear, can't they? No, they are deaf. I think you better check. Look at your snake's I'm gonna head. I'm going to check. I think I'm they have little sure ear holes. I, but yeah, mm. I'm pretty sure snakes have little ear holes. No. The okay, crocodile Google. hunter told me snakes are deaf. Google. Oh. I mean, Google. they feel vibrations. at work. Hear <laughs> sound. They they can feel vibrations, and they can. There's. It's possible they could hear hear low frequency sound. Snakes but, have no visible uh, ears. So they don't hear sounds as we do, but it's not quite right to say that snakes are deaf. They have the vestiges of an apparatus for hearing inside their heads. That setup is attached to their jaw bones, so they feel vibrations very well and may may hear low-frequency airborne sounds. Wow. I mean, I guess to say something feels vibrations, that's a form of hearing. Yeah. I mean, they're deafer than I thought they were. If I got up real close to him and just started screaming, it wouldn't... I don't. I don't think he would care. <laughs> and I don't think that's just because he's a snake. <laughs> that is that is from 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 LiveScience.com. Oh. oh, that sounds reputable. It does. This one, this Doctor Google says they're they're deaf to airborne sounds. Hey, all right, interesting. They could hear horses. Yeah, <laughs> twenty, maybe thirty. Snakes <laughs> sort of have like those induction headphones. At all times, yeah, <laughs> those weird, like, like osseous headphones. That's what I'm talking about. This is not. This doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about today. No, <laughs> it doesn't. this is this is probably going to become our cold open when we talk about whether snakes can hear. Hear, yeah, yeah. My Google history now includes snakes are deaf? Question <laughs> mark. <laughs> Welcome to bonus experience. <laughs> bonus experience. It's not a podcast about snakes. It could be, but it's not. We're a podcast with a deeper look at the play experience and the finer details of running and writing games. We are queer women speaking with authority about games. Also, we swear. You can just... Die mad about it. Die mad about it. Someday I'll be able to sync it up again. Yes, someday we'll do it at the same time. Every now and then it aligns and we say it at the same time and it sounds great. It sounds like a a middle school play. (laughs) I'm Monica. I'm our industry professional. I don't feel like making any more jokes. There we go. I'm, I'm Ray. I'm the industry unprofessional. <laughs> <laughs> I guess Monica's not making jokes tonight, so it's all on me. <laughs> Woo! I'm done with jokes during the intro. And we have an educational guest tonight. Please introduce yourself, ed- educational guest. Uh, hi, my name is Jonathan, a part-time game designer. And uh, I like to fo- look at focus game design, where I can kind of tackle small, specific ideas and concepts. And... The thing that makes me an educational guest is I just successfully funded Cut to the Chase on Kickstarter. Hey, congratulations. Thank you. We were we were like we were plugging you. We were Yeah. We were doing our best. <laughs> we were sending all seven of our listeners. <laughs> we have at least thirty. That's true. They're on our Discord now. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously though, congratulations. That's that's really great. Congratulations on making your goal. Thank you. Neither Monocorn nor I have ever done a Kickstarter before, so this no. is going to be us going, how do you do that? I mean, I've been a part of a team that's successfully done a Kickstarter. 
through the company I freelance for. But it had nothing to do with like anything that we did. It had nothing to do with me. I didn't have anything to do with that success short of like talking about it on here and sharing the link to it on my social media. That's why we have Jonathan. (laughs) So yeah, I've never done this independently. So definitely looking forward to your insight. We're looking forward to your smart answers to our very stupid questions. Well, that's interesting because I mean, I think that no one does it independently, at least not many people. So I mean, I think you were part of even though you felt like you weren't part of anything that (laughs) or you had no sort of responsibility for it that you probably did have some. That's deep. It is deep. I mean, by that, I mostly mean I wasn't like on the marketing team. I didn't have to put together the page. I didn't have to watch the money. It's not my finances that are in trouble. I got paid Mm -hmm. whether or not the Kickstarter succeeded. So like my horse was in the race, but not very much. You're right. You were on the easy easy part of the team. Yeah. Yeah. I was on the easy part of the team. Yeah, exactly. Hey, my name gets to be on this cover. Give the company I work for money, please. Thanks. Love you. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Let me just retweet that and retweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and my job here is done. Post it to the socials. Done. All right, let's let's start big here. Um, what do you consider the single most important thing to be prepared for when you're doing your very first Kickstarter? I I took a while to think about this uh, and came up with more than one answer. So that's how good I am. <laughs> I have more than more than one answer for me. <laughs> Lay it on us. I think that um, be prepared for the long haul uh, is. It's important to know that the preparation and fulfillment for Kickstarter it, it takes a long time. There's a lot of planning that goes involved and goes into it. And if you don't, if you're thinking about doing it and you can't see that there's a lot of work involved, then do more research. <laughs> but it, it's it's probably going to take you or you should at least consider taking three months to to get it started but i would even go further than that and it's uh, i haven't seen a fulfillment uh yet less than three months and they go up to 12 months for role-playing games that i've seen uh, yeah i would count on being in it for a year wow okay that sounds about right to me really yeah thinking about kickstarting and then planning your like the preparation getting it all ready and to kickstart and then the the fulfillment and it could balance either way like heavy on one end or the other i think anyway but yeah there's a lot of time investment and you need to know where your pledges are going to come from you need to know who's going to buy this thing uh i've seen quite a few kickstarters i shouldn't say quite a few but i've seen a few role-playing game kickstarters that look like decent projects that don't get enough funding momentum. And I think people look at them and they say, well, this looks kind of cool, but you know, people don't really seem interested. I don't want to back it if it's, I don't know why people don't want to back something that isn't going to fund because it doesn't cost you anything, but it seems that people don't want to back something that isn't going to fund. Right. Like they're, they're looking to, to, I used to know the term for this and there's, there's a snowball effect. Kind of, yeah. Kind of like that where they, yeah. I, I actually, when I was researching our Patreon, I saw a lot of recommendations that were like, make sure you have a couple of people jump in early mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. when you actually, quote, go live, people jump in and see, oh, there's already yeah. five pledges or, you know, 10, 15 pledges. And they they don't feel as weird being the first of, of only a couple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's this weird like effect of 
people wanting to jump in on something that's already popular or gaining traction. Like, yeah, we def- we had like a, a sneak release of our Patreon. <laughs> it got a couple people to to jump in on that. We we have successfully launched a Patreon. We haven't done a Kickstarter. <laughs> when I thought that I, I should get some money for doing this work, I also tried doing a Patreon and I have to redo it. Like I, I have to reset. It was just poorly done, but I didn't know in the time that it was poorly done. Um, but yeah, it's it's. I think there's similarities there. So the the takeaway is it's it's not something you can just sort of jump into after thinking about it for a couple of days, and then once it's done, it's not just done. It takes a lot of prep and it takes a lot of lead time. And it's not a if you build it, they will come situation, right? <laughs> so what I would suggest, and this is actually where I struggled the most because this is my first game, and I just did it and. As I was making it, I started reaching out and just learning and stumbling along as I went. And and I have or had at the time essentially no uh, social media following. Um, No one was invested in what I was doing. But if I was on the ball, I would have been getting my playtesters on a mailing list. Uh, I would have been building my social media as I went. I would have been creating hype, even if I was never going to do a Kickstarter, but you, you kind of need to do it well ahead of when you actually do your Kickstarter. When If you think about doing the Kickstarter and you haven't done any of that, you're probably behind. That leads us really nicely into our second question on here. So you kind of you kind of answered this already, but building up hype seems incredibly important for successfully funding, which you've more or less just said yes. So let's talk a little bit more about how critical you say having an established audience is to launching a Kickstarter. Um, I think it's the most important thing. I think that if you have an established audience, I don't know the numbers, but say you, you have a mailing list, uh, say maybe you have a Patreon already set up, uh, maybe, you, maybe you even have a podcast. I think small podcasts actually go very well with uh, certain uh, designers. So you, you just build this group of people. And when, if you know how many people exist that are likely to back your game, then you can sort of figure out uh, what the safe number is to sort of put towards your game. So if you can get 50 people to back you for $50, you can do a $2,500 Kickstarter and probably make, you know, five or $10,000 on it because you get that $2,500 guarantee from those 50 backers that you're, you're very confident in. They get your Kickstarter going, then everyone sort of, I wouldn't quite call it a snowball. It doesn't look like a snowball when you look at that trend. <laughs> it just <laughs> it really flattens out. But if you get that guarantee, then you get people uh, continually uh, backing it daily. And there's you still have to do uh, continual promotion of it as you go. But you can really plan what type of project you can do, how big of a project you can do when you know how many people you can kind of count on to back you. How are you able to get a good feel for... How many people could, was it like whoever, the number of people subscribing to your mailing list? Was it like a function of how many followers you had on Twitter? Or did you just straight up take a poll? Like who would give me $50 if I started a Kickstarter right now? <laughs> well, a couple of things. So for for that reason, I did a very low funding level uh, for $10. That was the majority of, of my funding. Uh, and uh I, I didn't know. I didn't do these things that I know now that I should have done. But what I did do is I I knew enough at the time that uh, it wasn't I wasn't going to be able to do it on my own. And um, 
a couple of big things. I hired a bunch of writers, 15 people, to write uh, scenarios for my game. This was very beneficial to my game. These are good writers, good designers, they're great ideas, and it, it made the game more than it is, but it brought their followers with them. They're going to promote it uh, because they were they would get royalties for uh, the project. So it, it incentivized them to promote it to their followers. And that is mostly what I was counting on to, to get my numbers up. But I didn't know what the conversion was going to be. I didn't know who was going to get what, you know, likely some got me more. There's no way for me to know that. I just knew that I had a bunch of people in my corner that were going to help me out to do this. All right. Okay. And then on top of that, I spent some money, uh, which you are probably going to have to do when you do a Kickstarter, whether it's doing art or hiring writers. Uh, but I also hired someone to to play my game uh, on stream. And they're pretty well known. Oh. Adam Coble played it with Blue Jay. Oh, okay. I know who that is. That was also uh, beneficial. So in my case, I had to invest in to get those people. You definitely say you found the phrase spend money to make money to be true. Yeah. And it, it's it was like a spend money to make this possible thing. Like there's some chance of making money well into the, the after sales of it. But I the Kickstarter, unless it hit like, so my Kickstarter was for $1,500. It, it funded to uh, $2,800. And um, had it gone to like five to $10,000, which was n- never really likely. Uh, I was very hopeful, but <laughs> I was pretty sure it wouldn't happen. But unless it went into that range, no one was going to make money off the Kickstarter. So I, I knew that it was it was a matter of getting the money to to make it happen in general. Okay, so you but so you also knew going in that you were willing to perform at a loss, as it were. Yeah. Let me throw in another question here. Uh, how important would you say is it to people to know that that's perhaps going to be the case, and that like especially for a tabletop RPG, you're, you're maybe just making this because you want to, and not necessarily because you're going to walk away with your pockets full of cash. I think everyone should know that going in that it, the first time you're doing a project like this first of all you have to put money in advance like you just can't wait for your kickstarter money to come to you and then start spending money you're probably gonna have to spend it in advance and you can get you can work your kickstarter to to give you that back but uh if you have to put money in then you have to expect that you might lose that so that should always be on your mind and I think established uh, game designers, even people who aren't doing it for a living, they get good at figuring out if the, if they're going to fund their Kickstarter and uh, they can do this with more surety. But even for them, it's not guaranteed that they'll that they'll fund. So if you were to give someone some advice on exactly how to spend that initial, I guess, seed money mm. to make sure your Kickstarter is going to be successful, what would you recommend splurging on what what could you not afford to cut corners on with the initial investment versus what is it okay to kind of you know people think this is important but really you don't need this to start your kickstarter in terms of spending money like the money is as far as the amount of backers you get is going to be actually kind of small like you don't need a lot of seed money but if you're if you're using your seed money besides building your um audience i would suggest that 
getting podcasters and actual play players to preach the greatness of your game, <laughs> play your game. Um, those are those are going to give you the best results. So like um, targeted advertising, I guess, making sure you get the right people to to shout you out. Yes, but it, it can't sound like an ad. If you're paying just for an ad right. spot, you're going to get way less return. Uh, anytime you hear that natural conversation in a podcast switch to ad mode, then it, you know, most people know that there there's a, a payment there and they just kind of tune out. But if you get like real enthusiastic backing from a, a podcaster or an actual play, uh, then followers of those people, they, they get, they get invested. So whatever you can do to do that. I would say would be the the second best way to sort of build a an, or build on the audience you already have, or sorry, the best way to build on the audience you already have. And on top of that, though, I would say, and I would have not really have thought this was the case, but have some art ready, like more than one piece that you have sprinkled throughout your your Kickstarter page. I got a lot of comments about a wall of text uh, Kickstarter page. I don't know if that stopped people, but it didn't excite people. Okay. So spend some money on some, some good artwork. Yeah. And hopefully you already know who your artist is going to be. This, this is part of the planning. You should know who your writers are going to be. You're like, you should know everyone who's going to be involved in the project before you, you start putting together the Kickstarter. Right. Cause you need to have that available for like the, the about part of the kickstarter i'm sure yeah exactly <laughs> not like i'm making a game i don't have any writers or artists <laughs> so i was just gonna say while we were while we were still on the topic but didn't come out of my mouth because my mic was muted um that having an actual player play your game is like the best testimonial you could possibly come by yeah i believe so because not only do you have that genuine enthusiasm but then people are also going to literally see the product that, that they are considering paying for. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really smart. It's good to play your game with someone on an actual play, but I think it's even better to just send it out there into the wild and have it played on an actual play without you there. It was actually pretty scary for that to happen for me, but uh, I think that is even more beneficial. So last night I actually got to listen to an actual play of a game published by it was Scion. I can just say that Scion's not like that's a secret. So they were in the middle of a combat sequence, and I did like all the design work that was put into this particular scene, and I was just losing my mind in their Twitch chat <laughs> uh, because I was getting to see my work in in play, and it worked. It worked. Ah, it worked. It was so good. <laughs> So I understand exactly how you feel. It's amazing when it's like, oh, I can't believe how smoothly that went. It's like someone who was designing it knew what they were doing. I you can't doing, believe that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I got to ask, how many mistakes did you catch? Um, I the 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 story guide had to make a quick call, and there was they. Uh, they chose to kind of make a, a rules call off the cuff. And I was like, no, there's a rule for that. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they didn't really screw anything up. Actually, they were playing things pretty solidly. Mm -hmm. That the only, only thing where I was like, oh, there's... And and the rule that the, the person running the game came up with sort of on the fly was really close to the rule that was in the book. So I couldn't fuss too much. That's 
kind of cool though that the I guess that means the rule that was written is intuitive intuitive enough. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, <laughs> now we should probably do our mid-episode break. Oh, is it that time? It is. It's a word like 23 minutes in, so yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay, yeah, cool. All right, we'll be back with Jonathan after this commercial break. It's, it's our commercials. It's a talk about us. And Jonathan doesn't want to come into the mid-episode break room because it still smells like onions. Damn it, Margaret. <laughs> Margaret's been eating onion sandwiches again. It's mm. gross. Bonus experience and the mid-episode break room are brought to you by the Misdirected Mark Network. Bing! Huge shout-out to our artist and graphic designer, Nino Studios. She's designed our logo, our banner, and our t-shirt, and does absolutely incredible work. If you are also a professional looking for a graphic designer, I know our um, guest is muted, but hey, if you need a graphic designer for anything else, hey, <laughs> please, please check, check her out. Hire her and tell her BXP sent you. Yeah, she's really awesome i love everything that she's done for us our logo looks so i don't think i've said this before i don't think we could have made it even half as far as we did if we didn't have this cool ass professional logo that she worked up for us she's great also hey um become a patron please become a pxp patron please we need your money to live please we like it money please well that sounds really desperate and needy i should probably (laughs) hey Hey, become a BXP patron. What does being a patron get them? Oh, I'll tell you. Tell them. (laughs) Even $3 a month gets you access to our outline, our Discord. We have a Discord now. Surprise. Extended versions of episodes that go up, the the main episodes that go up every other week. We do Margaret's extended cut of those for our patrons only. We also do two mini episodes of bonus content every month. And we have an actual play now. Bonus content goes up, I I mean, it says three times a month here on our outline. I think it's more like eight at this point (laughs) because we have so much extra shit that we do now. And if you donate to our Patreon, you get like all of it. Just, you know, check it out. We we worked really hard on it and it's pretty cool. And I think we have a lot of cool stuff to offer you. Yeah, you pretty much get everything at the dollar rate. But if you go up to three bucks, then you also get the actual play because it's a pain Mm -hmm. in the butt to make. It sure is. (laughs) (laughs) All right. If you'd rather support BXP without committing to monthly payments, you can still buy us a coffee, which is at ko-fi.com slash bonus EXP cast. I fixed it. Hey, thank you. And you can buy our stuff, including products made by our guests. You can also check out our merch page with t-shirts, mugs, phone cases, notebooks, and more. P.S. All those designs are by Nudo Studios. Mm -hmm. And you should totally treat yourself to something cool and support us while you're doing it. That is at bxpcast.com slash bxpswag. Uh, Our taxes are all done, so now I'm going to buy myself the mug that I've always wanted. Sweet. I'm also going to get the graph paper notebook that I've been drooling over. It's going to have our logo on it, and I'm just really excited. And I wanted to talk to someone about it. Thank you for being here. I (laughs) want to get the baseball tee with uh, with purple sleeves with our logo on it. Anyways, if you like bonus experience, you'll also like Jenghu Hustle. Train alongside fellow students Eric Farmer and Eli Kurtz in Jenghu Hustle. Eric and Eli make their kung fu stronger by wa- watching wuxia films and then discussing how to apply their observations to game design, which is right up my alley, and I like that show. Wuxia films are, they're like an untapped fountain of creative potential. I fucking love kung fu. <laughs> Me, too. Me too. Oh, okay, real quick, before we go. We do have one more thing to tell you about, and that is that the Kickstarter campaign for the Street Level Supers RPG 
Hit the Streets, Defend the Block by Rich Rogers is now live. Hit the Streets, Defend the Block is a different kind of supers game. In it, you play a street-level superpowered being, not necessarily a superhero, defending your neighborhood from corruption and villains while still balancing the demands of your day job and paying the rent. Ugh. You don't have big advertisement deals or action figures, but you have a neighborhood you care about and a team of like-minded folks to work alongside in defending it. Hit the Streets Defend the Block features mechanics for creating your own neighborhood as a group, making a living, breathing map that becomes a tapestry of play. The mechanics for superpowers are flexible without being complex, and there's just enough grit in there to make your character's life hectic and interesting. Are you ready to hit the streets now? Support the Lost Highway Games team by backing Hit the Streets, Defend the Block on Kickstarter. As soon as you back, you'll get immediate access to the playtest material so you can start defending your block today. We're going to put the link to that in our notes. Go check them out, please. And now back to our show. Hello, Jonathan. Welcome back. Thank you. Hello. I, I know earlier you were like a little a little nervous about being recorded, and I really hope listening to us just just tear just, our own asses apart <laughs> really helped you feel a little a little better about this because we've been doing it for a year and we still aren't very good. <laughs> We're wonderful. It's your post edits that make us great, uh, and yet people want to listen to us do this live, and I'm like, you're going to hear us fuck up so much. Oh my god! <laughs> In truth, I, I've probably since the I don't know fifth or sixth episode, I've I've been following you guys, and it's. Mm-hmm always been enjoyable because it just feels really real it's it's fun so oh thank you this is me telling you don't worry about it you guys sound great oh thank you thank you our fuck-ups make us sound real oh absolutely i like that (laughs) take us flaws and all (laughs) um we actually we actually have some questions from our patrons we have a patron-only channel in our Discord, and we asked them if they had any um, Kickstarter-related questions that we should ask you. And one of the questions that came up was, um, how realistic should you be with your stretch goals? So um, I think they mean, like, I, are they asking, should you expect them to be reachable or not? I, I'm not sure. I think it was a question of, like, how reasonable should they be like should you shoot for the moon or like keep it down to earth or like should you promise a whole lot of stuff like what what sort of reasonable expectations should you put around establishing stretch goals is what i got out of that for my own part of that like my own take on that question i'd want to know like how pie in the sky can you go i've seen kickstarters that they have like a stretch goal that ends up being a hundred percent beyond what they ended their funding at. And I, and I kind of think like, wow, did you really think you'd get that high? Mm-hmm. Is there some strategy to having these like stretch goals that are crazy outside of realistic funding or should you keep everything sort of within an attainable range? Stretch goals are interesting because you would almost think because they're pervasive in Kickstarter, that they're part of Kickstarter, but they're not. You just set them up yourself and you do them. So there's no framework for that? No, there's not. And I was kind of surprised when I went through. That's interesting. Yeah. And you just say, this is my stretch goal. And when I do this, I'm going to hire, you know, another writer to write another thing. That's so weird that they, you'd think even by now they would have gone, hey, stretch goals are really popular. Mm -hmm. Maybe we should build that into our 
into our process. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you compare that also to Patreon, there's no guidelines for tiers. No. And what what you give for that? We made all that up. That's yeah. true. Like, before we established our tiers, I we we spent days looking at other people's Patreons trying to figure out what what we could do. Right. So that's actually a good place to start. Look at other role playing games of similar scope. What do they have? So because of my worry about what I thought I would be able to fund, my stretch goals were actually part of what most people would just cover in their normal, um, their, their base level. So I put like filling the book complete with original art as a stretch goal, which, you know, a lot of people would just be, Hey, this is going to be a role-playing game and it's going to be all original art. And if it funds, you're going to get that. And uh, I've seen other, Kickstarters do that. And I thought it was a good idea. I thought it was a way to lower my my initial goal. But I found that it wasn't very appealing to people. No one was racing to get to the next stretch goal. Mm. So it should be appealing. I think it should be attainable. You should want to get there. Um, and you you want to what you want to do is get extra money for minimal work. That's really what you want to do. <laughs> right. That's the American dream. Uh, it is, but it's also the the realistic situation that independent designers are in because they can't afford yeah. to put extra time into what if you hit six stretch goals? If you have to essentially you yourself write, you know, three more books because of that, how are you going to fulfill the whole thing in the same time frame? So you should look for stretch goals that put minimal uh strain on you personally so hiring writers is a great stretch goal because it just for one you get the money to hire a writer and for two you're not doing any extra work you're just saying hey i'm gonna hire you to do this thing if we hit this and they're like cool so that that's a great stretch goal yeah okay and and you can sort of pepper those a lot of uh, role-playing games are going down this road they're they're making their they're essentially building game expansions through their Kickstarter. It, it's things that they may have released six months or a year later, and it would have, but instead they can do it right away. If a stretch goal isn't achieved, it shouldn't take away from the product that you intend to release. And this is the mistake that I made, although I did hit the first stretch goal. By not hitting all my stretch goals, I essentially am not getting as good of a product that I wanted. And uh, I think I sold myself short on that. Okay, so you shouldn't you shouldn't treat stretch goals like um like modular funding so much as oh if we if we meet the bare minimum I'll have five chapters but if we meet my stretch goal we'll have the whole book exactly that's exactly what you shouldn't do <laughs> which is what I did with the art <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted people to be enthusiastic about uh, funding more I just don't think that worked and. Uh, I, another thing that I feel, this is my personal preference, is that stretch goals should be for everyone. If you are in adding modules, as it were, onto your game through your stretch goals, then the lowest PDF backer should get that, in my opinion, because they would also be incentivized just to back at the PDF level and know they're going towards that stretch goal. And it's just, I think that's just the right way to do it, um, personally. Our other question, another question from our um, patrons was, uh, how often should you be communicating during the fulfillment stage? If that's a question you can answer. I, I have some thoughts. I just I just don't know what other people like. So from what I've backed, I feel like 
I'm either going to get the game or I'm not when I'm backing role-playing games. And so I'm just kind of like, yeah, let me know when you're sending it to me. This is me personally as a a Kickstarter backer. But I think it's important to let people know the stages that you're in. If you had to get art done, if that was part of what the Kickstarter was about, let them know when the art is done. Let them know how far along you are. And especially with things like printing proofs and uh, shipping, like these are things that can really screw up the length of your, your fulfillment if you think you're only going to have to do one or two proofs and you have to do six and these are like you making changes and the printing company sending you a proof back and just this back and forth communication, I haven't had to deal with that yet, but I've heard horror stories of that where it can just take, you know, months of time, which is usually not anticipated. So let your, your, your backers know that that's happening. And, and same with shipping. Uh, if you're uh, doing offset printing and you're, it's out of country there's all sorts of things that could go wrong with that. And I've seen multiple Kickstarters have that issue because I've gotten those updates where it's like, hey, I thought it was going to ship and it's not shipped or it's shipped and it's sitting in some shipyard somewhere in a shipping container and I can't access it or whatever. So I would let people know about that. And then above all, if there's any errors uh, or any delays, all the backers should be notified as soon as possible. So just as much transparency as you can, as you can bear to muster. Yep. All right. I think independent designers are, they are their own image. And if they appear to be hiding something or not communicating clearly, it'll sink you. Yeah. I I think it it can be very detrimental. Yeah, I agree. I don't think there's a whole lot of other companies, even, even like companies, not just independent designers who can get away with that either. Especially not anymore. People are just, I don't know if it's a good or bad thing. It's a little unfortunate that you personally are so tied to your design image, but it's it's just how it is now. What are some good strategies for just getting the word out for for doing your own advertising work, so to speak? Yeah. And, and this, I think, goes right back to the beginning where we talked about building your following a lot of this should be done in advance. You should have the people ready to back you and you're just reminding them, hey, remember to back me, remember remember to back me. (laughs) And so I I think the start of this is design in public. So this is uh, Discord, this is Twitter, this is forums, this is actual plays. It's, It's everything. Be out there talking about what you're doing, asking questions, taking feedback, giving feedback, uh, in this way, you'll you'll build people who are interested in your game, and and that's super important. And and like this for me, this podcast, like this isn't helping my Kickstarter, but this is helping me get get known. And so that's that's helpful. And hopefully, I'm potentially helping people, you know, learn about Kickstarters. And it's it's sort of it's just about being out there. And it, it's it's all the things that I I didn't do when I started mine. I really had to to hustle. Uh, coming up to the Kickstarter to get people to to even know what this thing is about or who I am. So do that beforehand. And coming into the the Kickstarter itself, appear on podcasts and uh, have actual plays. Actual plays, I, I think, yeah, we've said it already. Can't stress enough. Very important. Have them if on the first day of your Kickstarter. You want lots of attention in the initial 12 hours of your game and podcasts, actual plays are, are 
great ways to do this. Yeah, Twitter actually is is a great thing to use. Twitter is the little nudge, the reminder. It's it's letting people who already know you, uh, it's reminding them that they should be backing you. And when I looked at the final analytics, uh, as best as I could see, uh, Kickstarter has these analytics and, and you can set uh, links to, uh, you can put labels on links and you can say Twitter or you can say Facebook or, you know, uh, whatever this podcast or that podcast. And it can help you parse out where, where your backers are coming from. And directly from Twitter was in the neighborhood of 30 to 40%. I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but it's quite substantial. Wow! So that was all direct click-throughs from from your from your tweets. It was a combination of my tweets and other people's tweets, and I don't know exactly how it all works, but because there was a few specific links, and so it was my tweets, but then they're retweeted, so that link kind of gets out there, right? And it doesn't mean that that's where the person initially heard of it. Uh, they might have saw the the actual play. They might have heard an ad. Uh, but it is because it's like that reminder. You look at your phone, you click on Twitter, and, you know, you check. It's like, oh, yeah, this thing, you know, and I'm going to do that now. So you kind of get that nudge. I don't know the right amount of times to do it, but you should be promoting regularly. I would say for the first two or three days, every day, potentially multiple times a day, especially if you have something to announce, like we're halfway there, we hit our funding, we hit a stretch goal, those things should all all go out on Twitter, and whatever other media you use. So if you're big on Facebook, if you're if you have a Facebook page or a discord that you use, you should be uh, letting everyone know what's happening. I think that it's it's just ends up being a combination of people seeing you in various places and different people seeing you in various places. That that really builds the builds the the momentum to get the get the backers you need. Okay, so so don't put all your eggs in one basket. You want to make sure that people are hearing about you from a bunch of different avenues. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you consider when I started the Kickstarter, I had something like sixty or sixty five followers on Twitter. So even if every single one of them backed me, it wasn't going to be enough. I needed one hundred and fifty backers. So I knew that just saying, hey. Twitter followers, some of you who know nothing about role-playing games, just back me. <laughs> like, I knew that wasn't going to be enough. Um, and, and the same in the other areas. Like, I couldn't just say that to, uh, a, you know, RPG design on Reddit or any other forums. Like, it just, I, I had to go everywhere. Yeah, I've also heard that generally 10% of the people who are actually following you bother to engage with you. So, like... Uh, if you have if you have 64 Twitter followers, you can reasonably expect that 6.4 of them will bother to give you any money. That's good. I didn't know that stat, but th- that that sounds legit because oh, yeah. how many followers do you just like, oh, he said something funny. I'm going to follow him. And then you never engage with him again or they don't say anything. <laughs> yeah. So we love to joke that we only have 30 listeners because we have about 30 some odd people in our Discord. Um, but that's like 30 some odd people who bothered to click the Discord link that we put out. Yeah. <laughs> if that's about 10%, that means it's more like 300 some. I hold to the idea that we just have unusually engaged listeners. <laughs> okay. I mean, I am a big fan of our I fans. Also am a big fan They're of pretty fans. great. <laughs> 
<laughs> we can always, you know, we'll get the we'll get the analytics for it later. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And but I think too, like going back to the beginning, where we're building building our communities. That if you look at your Twitter community, you can count on that ten percent. But if you look at your your Patreon or Discord community, you could count on like eighty to ninety percent. Like these people are going to give you their money. Yeah, th- those are the really engaged fans. They're yeah, they're exactly they're engaged fans, and they like what you do. They like you, and presumably you're also doing good things that are worth getting out there. And they know that they know that you have a good product. Everyone else, they they don't. You really have to shoot for that word of mouth. You have to you know grab them ten percent at a time. Your own fans are going to be your best supporters by a long shot. And I mentioned this earlier: hiring writers and designers to work on your project. If people know these good people they're going to benefit your game and then they're also going to get to get the word out there and that that's beneficial we've kind of seen that in effect just with our own <laughs> just with our own production here when we have people who are like oh interview me for blah 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 it's like you're helping us more than we're helping you at this mm-hmm. point <laughs> <laughs> and actually i said that earlier you know expect to spend money some people do commission actual plays so you you would have to pay them but one of the big names is uh, one shot they they do this. Mm-hmm. It's 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 oh, not yeah. cheap, but a lot of other people will just play your game if you just ask them. A lot of people interview you if you just ask them because yeah. it is mutual beneficial. When we were first starting out as a podcast, like first two months, we failed to check our email and missed that one shot wanted to have us promote whatever Kickstarter, whatever oh. game they were kickstarting at the time. And I have kicked <laughs> myself ever since then because that could have launched this show and I missed oh, the window. Man. I feel for you. So we had to launch the hard way yep. instead. Oh, yep, you did. What if we, what if we emailed yeah, them a, now? Yeah, that would and have... like, hey, it's been a year. Maybe come back. <laughs> we learned so much. Yeah, yeah. Do another first... Kickstarter, please. Yeah, I have to check our email now. Yep, yeah. <laughs> We won't we won't drop the ball if if that opportunity presents itself again. But we did talk to someone last week who I think is going to bring us a lot of traffic. And I was sort of like, we need to fix all our website problems before this happens. <laughs> yeah, and there's um an actual play that D and D podcast, and they did uh, a series of interviews, uh, unlikely interviews or something like that. And they got like these big names, and they just like asked like they're. They're just like, hey, you want to come do an interview? And they did these long, extensive two-hour interviews with designers and and uh, role players. And it was just like, wow, this is That's great. Cool. There's, yeah. So put if you might have to pay, but you can also ask. And when you're asking, know that it's it's mutual. Expect to give to get uh, ads. I th- I think I think that I'm I'm a little torn. I think I would probably do it again. I think ads can be helpful limited or have limited success but they they get to even people that you aren't already reaching Um, but i just wouldn't expect a really high return on them you might do a little better than break even Uh, it really depends on how the copy is done and how enthusiastic people are about about your game and i the ads that i paid for were through misdirected mark and and you guys did some and and uh, chris and uh, i i can't remember all the names Phil, Senda, all these people did uh, copy and it was great. It was really uh, enthusiastic and it was good to listen to. So I think that was helpful, but they, they still pay back the least overall. I'm really glad to hear you say that because <laughs> when you brought up ads and copy, I was like, 
oh shit we we like wait did we do okay (laughs) we did that (laughs) oh no oh shit (laughs) okay i'm glad it sounded good (laughs) yeah but i think and we come to this and we're all you know amateurs basically like we're we're acting professional but we're you know we don't do a lot of this we're doing our best and and so (laughs) it's i i would never you know fault anyone this is hard it's it's not easy we were very excited to read copy monica that was like her goal her dream goal of i want to be big enough that we read copy at one point (laughs) oh that's awesome uh I, i i don't recall how many other times you've done it actually i'm curious we we haven't. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You were you were our first ad, so I was very excited. And you know that's interesting. Um, I picked the the podcasts um, through the misdirected mark, and I, I picked the ones that I thought would be have the audiences that were would be the most into the game. And uh, like, I didn't pick the the D and D one, which probably was one of the higher had the had more listeners uh, because I just thought I would get less return on it. But uh, I, first of all, I liked it. It was good coffee. And I hope that you never get sick of doing it. <laughs> or no, you know what? I Thanks. hope that someday you get enough that you get sick of doing it. <laughs> yeah, that would be. That's Thank that you. I'm good. <clears throat> hey, uh, Jonathan, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, people can follow me on Twitter at Mongrel Games. They can find my webpage, mongreltabletopgames.com. And I have a, another really small podcast called Flail Forward Podcast, and they can find that on SoundCloud. It's a group of amateur game designers, and we ramble about game design. I love that title. I can't believe we didn't think of that. <laughs> we also couldn't believe that no one else had thought of it. <laughs> That's an amazing podcast name. <laughs> um, Monica? Yeah. Where can they find our show? They can find more of the show at bxpcast.com, part of the Misdirected Mark Network. Bing! Where can they email us? They can send us emails to, you know, send us some ad copy. (laughs) Uh, Monica's dying for some more ad copy. That you think we should shout out about? Pictures of your pets, whatever. Questions, comments, concerns. Ask us anything. Bonusexpcast at gmail.com. What about Twitter, though? tell me about twitter hurry uh please send us cursed images at twitter so that would be (laughs) at bonus exp cast how do they find our discord there's no is there like an easy link to get into a discord or there's not an easy link that i could like read out loud um but we should probably put it on the website on one of the side banners like create one of the permanent invites and stick it there yeah i should do that so um look on our website for the link to our to join our discord that may or may not be there (laughs) jonathan thank you so much for coming by and teaching us about kickstarter thank you very much for having me i really appreciate your insight and i also really respect that you can uh, come to us and and talk not only about your successes but also don't do what i did which honestly (laughs) this that's like three times as valuable (laughs) thank you and again, congratulations on meeting your goals. That's extremely exciting. When I, what I saw of uh, Cut to the Chase looked like really fucking cool. <laughs> so congratulations. Thanks. Margaret, uh, put in a put in some sort of like cheering noise here. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> It'll be a bunch of air yeah. horns. It'll be great. <laughs> uh, all right, I think that's it. Um, it's yeah, my bedtime, good. so everybody get go. out. All right, Absolutely. just well, let you and the snake go to bed. And remember, change it if you want to. Change it if you want to. Yeah. Have a good night. <laughs> <laughs> I love getting other people to say change it if you want to. Bye, bye.